Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. And today we want to just look at the Word of God in light of some of the things that are happening in our world and in our culture. And we want to see the things that will bring us spiritual nourishment as well. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35. The Bible says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other little boats with him. Then the Bible says a furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And the Bible says here in verse number 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said unto them, why are you so fearful? And why is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? But again, I just want to read for emphasis verse number 36. The Bible says, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And pay attention to this little detail. And other little boats were with him. Today, saints, I want to talk to you under the subject, size doesn't matter. And I want to subtitle this, The Problem with Privilege. The Problem with Privilege. privilege. Let's pray together. Father, I, I ask today that in this little while that you would say much. Father, I know that there is a word that you have for us in light of all that is pressing sore upon your people. So Lord, I'm praying that in the hearing of the word that faith would be multiplied exponentially. So Lord, once again, would you please hide me in the shadow of the cross that Jesus alone might be seen, that Christ alone would be heard, and at the end of our time together, may Jesus, the King of glory, be praised. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. Let God's people say together, amen and amen. Again, saints, just talking to you under the subject, size doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. You know, last week, my family and I went down to Florida so that we could spend the weekend with my parents. And while there, Gianna and I slipped over to Destin without the kids so that we could have some time of refreshing at the beach. And while I sat on the beach with the waves massaging the stress knots from my brain, I looked out onto the ocean where I saw two boats or ships crossing paths. Now to be clear, I'm not a nautical expert in any way, shape, or form, but there was one smaller boat 
that seemed to be some type of recreational or fishing craft. And then there was a larger boat that seemed to be a cruise liner of some sort. And I noted that the smaller boat was buffeted by the waves. And though it was not in danger, its trek was very laborious as it moved through an agitated Atlantic Ocean. And I noted that the large boat was able, unbothered by the waves. It moved seamlessly as if it was on wheels through this same agitated body of water. And the ride was so steady that the passengers put their drinks on the edge of the boat because they had no fear of turbulence or uh, imbalance on the journey. And I couldn't help but think that if you were to ask the passengers of both boats to describe the water, they would both come up with two different descriptions. I began to hypothesize that those on the tiny boat would describe the water as rough and laborious and somewhat difficult, while those in the big boat would say the water is great, that the sailing was fine, that today was a great day to go out on the water. In fact, it would be their position in the water that would cause them to describe it in a different way. In other words, because the water was no problem for them, they would assume the water was not a problem at all. Because it did not disturb their fun, they would assume there was no disturbance. Because the sea didn't impact them, they would assume that the sea was no problem. And this, friends, is exactly how privilege works where people of different people groups describe the same situation in completely different terms. In other words, it is where one in a superior privilege has a different assessment based on their vantage point. In other words, if I have a superior position, I have superior experiences, which causes me to have an elevated assessment of how things are. But the problem with privilege is when you have an elevated position and you deny my inferior experience. It's when your elevated assessment makes it seem like my assessment is fake or unreal. And I need us to understand that all of us are afforded privilege in different ways. Some get privilege because of their last name. Some get privilege because of their uh, pedigree. Some get privilege because of inheritance. Some get privilege, uh, uh, at, like me, I get privilege as a pastor because of my gender. And then there are others that get privilege because of the color of their skin. But guess what? The problem with racial privilege is when we refuse to acknowledge the experiences of those without it. See, understand, I'm not mad if you have privilege as long as you're willing to acknowledge that you got privilege. In fact, I read this week how Steve Nash, the former player, got the coaching job of the New Jersey Nets with KD. And at least he kept it real. He said, I got to skip the line. And there are times where white privilege actually works to my benefit. And see, the problem with privilege is when you try to act like the ground is all level. It becomes an issue when you make it seem like all the opportunities are equal. And see, the reason there is an issue is that sometimes 
times those in the big boat look down on those who have seasickness because they're in the little boat. In other words, those in the big boat say there ain't no problem with policing because none of their loved ones have been brutally killed when lethal force was not required. Those in the big boat say there's no problem with the justice system. It's because when we commit the same crime, my sentence is twice as long as yours. Those in the big boat say there's no such thing as gender discrimination, while women who do the same job get different pay because they shave their legs instead of shaving their face. There's some in the big boat that say COVID ain't no big deal, it's just a hoax. It's because 50% of the deaths don't come from your community. Those in the big boat are telling me that the economy is better than it's ever been, while black people still have an unemployment rate twice the rate of their white counterparts. And see, out of privilege comes the narrative that everything is well. That if you just work hard and have personal responsibility and pull yourself up from your bootstraps, that we can all have the same experience. See, those with superior privilege at some point begin to see themselves as superior beings. And to acknowledge privilege is to disprove the long-held narrative that my superior position is a result of my inherent supremacy. And I need you to know, beloved, that there is no work ethic, no value that can bridge the ground for those that have learned how to normalize their privilege. And in other words, what privilege is, saints, it's like being in a hundred yard dash with a 50 yard head start. In other words, it's kind of like this, like, like you know, we were keeping the kids home at homeschool this year. And, and in the morning, I'm the Bible and the PE teacher. Can I get a witness in this place? And it's crazy because there are times where I will have them run laps around the roundabout in our neighborhood. And I need you to know my oldest son, he is the fastest runner. My daughter is the strongest runner with endurance. And my youngest boy, he can run, but he's just the youngest in the group. And so when they get ready to run their laps, I give the baby boy a head start about a third of the way so that he can come in first. Now I need you to know that when Braden comes in first, he's got no humility with his victory. I need you to know that your boy is talking trash, he is pointing fingers, he is dabbing on his older siblings because he came in first. And what his siblings are trying to get him to understand is that just because you came in first, that doesn't mean you were the fastest. Just because you got a head start, it doesn't mean that you were the head. In other words, you won the race because you had a better position, not because you had a better performance. And I just need to preach to anybody in a little boat today to know that God is able to help even the playing field. I need you to know that you may be in the background today, but the word says the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. How many of us know that our God is able to restore what the locusts have taken away? I need one witness to know that the latter day shall be greater than the former day. And what we learn from our text today is that God is able to sustain even those who travel in little boats. Are y'all with me today, saints? And so the word says to me, with us, go back with you don't mind to, to, to verse number 36 and let's unpack this a little further. The Bible says when they had left, 
the multitude. They took him along in the boat. Watch this. They took him along as he was. And there were other little boats that were also with him. Now, saints, I need you to understand that I don't want to necessarily deal with the common aspects of this particular story. In fact, all of us are very familiar with the fact that in the middle of the storm, Jesus stood up with divine authority and told the storm to shut up. And for that reason, we are thankful and we stand in awe of his power. But I don't want to spend so much time talking about how he stopped the storm. I want to preach to that person whose storm won't be over by the time the benediction is said. I, I want to preach to that person today that is being swallowed up by circumstance and is wrestling with their personal significance with God. In fact, the first thing I need somebody to know from the word today is that in Christ there is no hierarchy of concern. In other words, I need you to understand that there is nobody more important in the world to Jesus Christ than you are. Okay, let, let me say it because some of y'all at home didn't get it. I need you to know that there is nobody in the world more important to God than you are. Are y'all hearing this word today? Now, now notice what the word said. When verse 35, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. And notice that the Bible says that the disciples, they take him as he is and they usher him into a boat. Now, beloved, I need y'all to see the ego and the elite hubris that is at work in this story. Notice that the Bible says that as they get ready to cross Lewis, that there are a whole bunch of boats available. But then the disciples make sure that they go down first and get the big boat. The one that's got a stern where Jesus can asleep in the front. And notice that these little uppity disciples, they don't share Jesus for a little while. The Bible says they take him as he is. In other words, they sequester Jesus so he can't get in nobody else's boat. They make sure that Jesus gets inside of their boat. So I need you to know that as these cats are traveling, that the disciples are in a position of privilege. What do you mean, pastor? They have the superior boat and they have direct access to Jesus. Now notice what it said. The Bible says that in Mark that there were other little ships with him. Okay, okay, y'all didn't get that. Notice it didn't say that these other little ships were with them. The word says that these little ships were with him. And what Mark is trying to describe is that these little ships are not operating autonomously from the divine covering of God. The fact that these ships were with him means that these little ships were under his authority. They're under his protection. Jesus is saying these little ships are my responsibility. In other words, God is trying to help us to understand that God doesn't just keep the big boat in the storm. God even protects the little boats in the storm. In other words, the names of the boats are not given. The names of the passengers are not shared. But Jesus doesn't just sustain those in the big boat. But my God is so awesome that he can even keep those who travel in little boats. Let me just talk for a moment.
to that person that feels lost in this big, large world, who struggles with the fact that you may or may not be significant to God, where circumstances seem to suggest that you're not as valuable to the Savior. There's somebody listening to this word that's in a tiny boat financially. You're in a small boat socially. You're in a small boat professionally. You're in a small boat spiritually. I need you to know this thing about God is that in God, size does not matter. See, I need you to know that God doesn't care about the size of your house. He don't care about the size of your car. He don't care about the size of your waist. He don't care about the size of your bank account. I need you to know that God was going to stop the storm, not just for those that were in the big boat, but God was going to stop that storm because even those in the tiny boat belong to him. And see, what he's saying to us is that you got to understand, beloved, that in Christ there is no hierarchy of concern. Because the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. I need somebody to get to the place that God is not one that is going to pay more attention to some because of where they come from or what they have. But I need you to know that at the foot of the cross, the ground is all level. Am I preaching to anybody today? And I want to just say to somebody real quick, you've got to stop using your earthly circumstance as a measuring stick for your spiritual value to God. See, I need you to know that God manages all of the affairs of creation. The word literally says that it is through his hand that he satisfies the desire of all living things. I need you to know that God is so particular that he says, I clothe the lilies of the field. And Solomon on his best day was not dressed better than either one of these. He says, I make provision for the grass which is here today and hewn down on tomorrow. I need you to know God loves you so much that he keeps a record of every tear that falls from your face stores it in a bottle and keeps record of what caused it to fall. I need you to know that God loves you so much that he numbers every hair that falls from your head. God says, I shall provide for the sparrow which is sold for a penny. And if you know his eye is on the sparrow, then you ought to know that he watches over you. And I know I've said this often, but I think it bears repeating. If you want to know your value to God, don't look at your bank account. Look at your price tag. In other words, if you want to know your value, don't measure it by how much you get paid. you got to measure it by how much Christ paid to purchase your salvation. See, somebody ought to know that you got value because God paid the same price to purchase the soul of every mankind. See, somebody ought to shout that God didn't pay more for the preacher. He didn't pay more for the president. He didn't pay more for the pope. He didn't pay more for the governor. But God spilled his blood even for the least of those that they might receive salvation. Are y'all hearing me today? In fact, let me say it this way. In fact, some of those who mess up and, and have struggles and we fall short, sometimes we feel like we have less value to God. But, but I don't know if this is totally accurate, but sometimes the more you mess up, that may mean that Jesus had to put a little bit more blood. He may have had to put a little bit more righteousness. 
In other words, if you realize he had to give a little bit more blood to you than everybody else, then you ought to know that you don't have lesser value, but you got great value because of the abundance of grace that God has poured on your life. Are y'all hearing the word today? In fact, I need you to know, man, that the value of a man or woman is not in, in, in their circumstance. It's in the price tag. In fact, let, let me say it this way, Lewis. It, it's crazy because, like, the guys, and I think the women can relate to this, like your, your favorite pair of shoes is not necessarily the ones you wear every day. Your, your favorite pair of shoes are going to be the ones you paid the most to get. Oh, y'all, 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 y'all not keeping it real with me here today. In other words, all of us have some shoes that, that, that are our favorite shoes. And how many of us know you don't wear your favorite shoes to cut the grass? And you don't wear your favorite shoes to go to the store? In fact, sometimes your favorite shoes may even feel a little bit neglected because you only wear them on special occasions. But if you had to have a conversation with the favorite shoe, you would let it know that you're my friend. Favorite, even though I don't always there, even though you don't always see me, you're my favorite because of the price that has been paid. And I need you to know that as children of God, sometimes you may feel neglected. You may feel like God is not always there, but I need you to know you've got value because of the price that's been paid. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? So the word says to us here in, in verse number in verse number 39. The Bible says, then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. But he said to them, watch this saints, why are you so fearful? And why do you have no faith? Second thing church this teaches is that our celebrations have to be communal not individual. Now, the reason that may seem like a strange statement is, like I said before, we thought the miracle was about God just saving the one boat with the 12. But let me ask you, is the miracle that God could save the big boat in the big storm, or is it that God could save the tiny boats in a big storm? So I need y'all to see this thing because the storm is about to take down the large boat. And I need you to see that these disciples, man, are in full panic. So much so that when they wake Jesus up, they literally question his concern. They say, Master, don't you even care that we are about to perish? But isn't it interesting that the ones that should be afraid, it shouldn't be the 12 in the big boat next to Jesus. The ones that should be scared are the ones in those itty bitty boats where they can't even see where Jesus is located. And, and the curious portion of this sermon is that after Jesus calms the storm, notice that he doesn't come and soothe the disciples. He doesn't come and pat them on the back and say, everything is going to be all right. The word says, after he rebukes the wind, he then rebukes their unbelief as if he should have expected something different than how they actually responded. And so then my question becomes to see, where does their lack of faith actually begin? So don't miss this, because see, you'll struggle with faith, saints, if your celebrations are only individual and not communal. Okay, let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me take my time here. 
because you will miss 95% of the mercies and miracles of God if you only measure God's goodness by what he is doing for you. You see, the ones in the big boat, watch this, are in a privileged position. They got the big boat. They're right there next to Jesus. The ones in the most danger are the ones in the small boat. The ones that are most vulnerable are in the small boat. And understand that this storm has a progression to it. It gets worse as the night goes by. But you know when they should have got some encouragement, Rashid, they should have got a little happy when they at time they look over and they realize that Jesus had lost no boats. Oh God. Oh no, no. Yeah, yeah, y'all don't want this thing today. In other words, we're not told how many boats are in the group. But even if there are 20 boats, after the first hour, there's still 20 boats. And after the second hour, there's still 20 boats. After the third hour, there's still 20 boats. After the fourth hour, it's still 20 boats. It's one thing if they look up and they down to 10 boats. I'd freak if I was down to five boats. I'd be tripping if I was down to two boats because it seems like somehow death is inevitable. But whenever they look over the edge of the boat and they see God keeping those little boats and they see him covering those little boats and they see him sustaining those little boats, something should have awakened inside of them that if God can keep them, then maybe God can keep me. If God can cover them, then God can cover me. If God can keep that little boat from going under, then certainly God can keep my boat from going under. And see, saints, this, beloved, is why Paul gives this charge to the church at Rome. In Romans 12, 15, he says, you are to mourn with those who mourn, and you are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? In other words, the way the church makes it in faith is where we share experiences as a community. Let me say this again. The way we make it as a church is where we share experiences as a community. So watch this. When we share experiences as a community, something powerful happens. So that when I mourn with those who mourn, I give strength to those who are weak. But then I can also draw strength when others rejoice. Oh God. When I mourn with those who mourn, I give strength to the weak, and then I draw strength from those who rejoice. See, watch this church. You realize that there ain't no such thing in the body as my victory. There ain't no such thing as my blessing. There ain't no such thing as my deliverance. Do you realize that every blessing that is bestowed upon a person is actually given as an asset to the entire body? So that when God blesses me, I'm not the only one that should shout because my blessing is given to multiply the faith of the entire body so that when we rejoice with each other, we all get strengthened in the process. Are y'all with me today, saints? See, it's just why Jesus uh, throughout the New Testament says that the church is like a body. Because the body functions in an inter interdependent way on one another. It's crazy because I'm at that age, Pastor Lampkin, where, where if I don't stop drinking by a certain time, I'm going to have to get up and go to the bathroom a couple times. I got some witnesses. I see y'all out here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't by myself. Come on, say amen. 
And it's crazy because sometimes late at night I'm, I'm, I'm going through and I'm, and I'm stumbling through the dark and, and probably about once a month, right? When I go into the bathroom, I always stub that little toe. And it's crazy because even though it hits just the little toe, that joint sends a pain that makes your head hurt, your, your breathing get heavy, your heart begins to beat fast. Why? Because when one part of the body hurts, the entire body hurts. But guess what? When that toe finally begins to soothe itself and get better, guess what? My head begins to feel better. My breathing begins to get better. My heart rate begins to slow down. Why? Because when it hurts, guess what? All of us hurts. And when it does good, we all do good. And see, the reason is the 12 are tripping in the boat is because they are functioning every man for himself. See, they are disconnected at this point from the struggles of everybody else. In other words, they would have been able, had they been able to celebrate their survival, they would have had more strength when it came down to their own survival. And see, the problem with the church in our time is that we only celebrate the goodness of God individually. We don't celebrate God's goodness as a community. And let me just say this, church, that if you never change this, the goodness of God will make you bitter and jealous and it'll turn you into a sanctified hater see God has grown me to a place saints where my praise ain't just for me but I'm getting to a place Lewis where I praise God when he blesses you see 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 I need you to understand that I don't just shout when he answers my prayers for me but if I pray for you and God answers that prayer, I shout as if God answered the prayer for me. And I guess what I'm calling the church into is a season of community praise where praise is not just based on how it's going for you. How many of us know that you need to shout when they get healed? You need to shout when they open the business. You need to shout when they find love. You need to shout when their kids get out of jail. You need to shout when they close on the house. You need to shout when they lose weight. You need to shout when they get promoted. You need to shout when God restores their health. You need to shout when God restores their marriage. Don't sit around and wait for your turn to praise him. You ought to praise him for what he's doing for other folk. Let the redeemed say amen. In other words, let, let me say it this way. You got to get to the place where you have what I call ice tray faith. In other words, y'all see, see, the younger people who are watching this can't relate to what I'm saying. See, anybody over 40 has seen one of these foreign objects. It's called an ice tray. Come on and say amen. Now, now, one of the things about an ice tray is that essentially you fill it up on one end and you got to put it at an angle. And, and how many of us understand that when you begin to pour on the top, you realize that the trays at the bottom are rooting for the ones at the top to overflow. Oh, Lord. Lord, I ain't got no church here to me. In other words, they are shouting and praying for the ones in the top to overflow. Because when the ones at the top overflow, it just means that some provision is about to come their way. Oh, God. Can, can I get five witnesses that are on the screen to say, I'm going to shout. When you get in the overflow, because we are one tray, we are one community, we are one body, and when God sends you into the overflow, he's going to send the extra, he's going to send the remnants, he's going to send the overflow my way, 
So I ain't got to wait to praise God. I can praise him in season for how he's blessing you. Are you hearing the word today? Amen, amen. Third thing, I'm almost done. Well, not just yet, but I'm close. Amen. Third thing this teaches, and y'all going to get a little mad at me on this. Third thing this teaches is that you can't just invoke privilege for yourself. So Matthew lets us know that this storm ain't like a little five-minute joint. They toil with this storm all night long. And, and did you note that they don't call on Jesus until their boat is in trouble. <laughs> now you gotta understand that this storm is not just one ball of fury, there is a progression to it. In other words, this storm matures, it intensifies, it increases the longer the night goes on. Now understand, I don't know how much bigger the boat, the 12 and Jesus are in, but Jesus gives us, or Mark gives us the detail about these small boats for a reason. Because y'all got to see how this thing goes down, Doc Hill. That when the weather first turns and the waves just get a little rough, those in the little boats are getting pushed around. While those in the big boat are just chilling. As it intensifies, those in the little boats are having to brace themselves and, and get ready for the next season of waves that are about to come. But those in the big boat are completely unaffected. I need you to know that as the storm begins to rage, they, those in the little boats have to get their pails and have to begin dispatching water from the boat. But understand, those in the big boat ain't got that to worry about. And did you notice that those in the big boat don't invite those in the little boat to come on board? In fact, they just sitting there judging them because they say, y'all should have got a big boat like us too. And it's amazing how the issue doesn't become a problem until it becomes a problem for them too. And see, this is the issue with privilege. Because we won't use our privilege, our resources, our access, our authority, our voice, and our reach until something affects our community. See, the reason, watch this, suffering has to spread and touch everybody because it's not till suffering touches everybody that the privileged stop hoarding their privilege. In other words, it is not till all of us are in the same situation that we say we got to figure out a way out of this thing together. But as long as it's touching you and not me, I'm going to hoard what is mine and be selfish and self-interested. And so God says, I got to let it touch everybody. It's crazy because they don't wake up Jesus until their boat is about to go under. And it's crazy because I need us to understand, be mindful that what's touching somebody else's community today might be touching yours tomorrow. The ones you're looking down on today are the ones you may have to look up to tomorrow. Isn't it amazing how the war on drugs, when it was just in the urban community, how the only solution was stiff penalty and stiff punishment. But it wasn't until the opioid crisis began to shift over into suburbia that now we need to introduce counseling and rehabilitation centers. It wasn't until it touched everybody 
that we let loose of our privilege. It's amazing how right now COVID ain't no big deal because it's just touching older folk and brown folk. But eventually what starts out in one community is going to spread to every community. So we stop hoarding our privilege. It's amazing how HIV was no big deal as long as it was seen as a gay disease and it was running through uh, the urban communities. But when it began to touch those who are heterosexual centers, then we had to come up with an issue. We say gender discrimination is no big deal until your wife who works hard runs up against a glass ceiling, even though she's more qualified than the men in her department. It's a lot of brothers that act like date rape is not real until it's your sister or your daughter that's been drugged and had her innocence taken away. We say criminal justice ain't no problem until your middle class child makes a mistake and now their future is in jeopardy. We say the veterans are lack of veteran benefits. That's their issue until it's your uncle or granddad that's been wounded in service and now can't be served when he comes back home. And I guess what I'm saying to us is that God is calling us away from isolationism. He's calling us out of me-centered thinking and living where I live with an awareness of suffering and I use my privilege, my voice, my reach, my resources and my energy to help alleviate suffering wherever I see it. It's a call to say that I can understand that those you're looking down on today, you'll be looking up to them for help tomorrow. Am I preaching to anybody today? It's a call to the church to say, don't be voiceless. Don't be tone deaf. Don't be indifferent. Don't be defeated. Don't be touchless. It's time to say that we can't wait until things touch us directly to say we're going to march. And now we're going to pray. And now we're going to call on the name of the Lord. We've got to alleviate suffering wherever privilege allows us to make a difference. So Jesus wakes up. Man, it's crazy because I ain't never thought about it this way. Jesus wakes up and he rebukes these cowards. And it's crazy because Jesus doesn't rebuke them because they, they, they Jesus doesn't rebuke them because he asked for help for what's affecting them. Jesus rebukes them perhaps because they don't call for help until it affected them. Maybe Jesus stayed so long to let the strong storm get strong enough to where now their struggle is not disconnected from everybody else's, but he's going to put everybody in the same situation so that these disciples don't hoard their access. But they call on Jesus in a way that benefits everybody affected by the storm. See, even their cry, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And our prayers are all about us. But some of us, man, God is allowing certain things to touch us and touch our suffering to spill over so that we stop being selfish and we use our privilege for the glory of God. Come on and say amen today. So whether your privilege is earned or inherited, whether it comes from your gender, your job, your position, your financial status, your, 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 your race, whatever it is, God has given that privilege to you, not just to hoard, but to use it to benefit all of mankind. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? See, this is how society is supposed to work. You realize that society is not just a grouping of people. Society is a contract. 
It, it is a contract that we make with one another that says our collective prosperity can only uh, 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 continue if it's based upon even the weakest or the smallest amongst us being cared for by the whole. But when I use my privilege only for me, I stand in breach of that contract. And what I'm saying to the body of Christ is that however it is that God has given you privilege, God is calling you to use it. God is causing you to wake up. God is calling you out of indifference. God is stirring up the gift inside of you to use your voice, to use your influence, to use your reflex, our, our resources to help all of suffering humanity. Can the church say amen? It's crazy. Because like, yeah, listen, I'm done. But like, <laughs> oh, this thing got good to me. You realize that there was one benefit in being in a small boat. <laughs> so you realize that the storm is going to affect the people in the small boat first. And it's going to affect them longest. Oh, y'all not hearing me. So, so if I'm in a small boat, the storm hits me first. And the storm hits me the longest. But do you notice that by the time they wake up, the folk in the small boats ain't crying. It's just the folk in the big boat crying. See, I need you to understand that even though the small boats have been in the storm the longest, in a storm, the waves still have a rhythm to it. In other words, they've been in the storm so long that they figured out the rhythm of the storm. And they've been beat up so long that they know the rhythm of the waves. They've learned how to maneuver through the storm. So when those in the big boat are crying out, those in the little boat then got used to it. In other words, those in the little boat, we don't weep when the storm comes. How many of us can testify that we've been in the storm so long that we ain't tripping like those in the big boat because we've been wrestling for a long time. In other words, those in the big boat, they cry when there's a recession. But our normal is recession. But we've learned how to get the rhythm of the storm. In other words, those in the big boat of marriage or the new boat cry when there's an argument. But those that have been married a little while, you don't cry at the first argument because you learn how to get the rave of the rhythm of the storm. In other words, when those in the big boat lose a job, they're ready to jump off a building. But you've had broke days before. You've been unemployed before. And so you've got the rhythm. You know how to survive. In other words, you might not be able to praise him for position, but you can praise him that he taught you how to survive. He taught you how to believe. He taught you how to hold on. He taught you where your help comes from. Somebody praise him, not that you avoided the storm, but that he's kept you in the storm. Are y'all hearing the word? And it's crazy because the fishermen, they know how to get through storms. But see, the issue is they've been in the storm so long now. The issue is not the water. It's exhaustion. So if those in the little boats have been in the storm longer, why aren't they exhausted too? Well, in athletics, there is this thing called the second wind. Oh, I can't get no help here. In other words, it's in your second wind where when you're running or doing sports, when you reach a point of exhaustion, they tell me if you push through the exhaustion, you get to tap into resources that you don't have access to until you push past the pain. In other words, the reason those 
in the little boat are able to keep going is they reached their breaking point a long time ago. But they pushed through the exhaustion and God allowed them to tap in to a power that those in the big boat hadn't seen yet. Is there anybody that's got a second wind financially? A second wind spiritually? A second wind mortally? You ought to be out of gas. You should be broke down by the road. But the word says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount with rings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And the reason they ain't no ways tired is because in Christ they got a second wind. They push past exhaustion and they got a power that they didn't know was available until they pushed through. And listen, I just want to say to everybody in a small boat today, the same way God kept those in the small boat in that storm is the same way God is able to keep those in the small boat even in our time. See, see, I want to I just make two appeals. Number one is to the body of Christ. So, so, so whether you're white or male or you're a person of, of financial means, maybe you have connections or influence, God's word to you or his question to you is do you only use your privilege to benefit your brand, your house, your situation? Or do you live with a 360 degree view of suffering? Do, do you wait till something touches you? Or are you proactively compassionate where you reach out to be a blessing to anybody, to help alleviate suffering wherever you see it in your sphere of influence? And see, I need you to understand that in the judgment saints, see, we worry stuff about just smoking and drinking and, and this sin and that sin and so on and so forth. But you realize that one of the things we'll be judged for are the opportunities we had to do good where we did not do good. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? God is calling us to live with a, an awareness to come out of isolationism and to live and stop being in breach of the contract. And the ones who ought to lead the way should be those of us who are part of the family of God and the body of Christ. But I want to just again, as, as, as Minister William gets ready to sing this song, I want to talk to that person who, like the, the disciples in those small boats, you feel lost. You feel left behind. You don't have as big of a boat. You don't have the access. You don't have the resources. And circumstances say that your value is less than others. I need you to understand this one thing. The same way God satisfies the desires of all things. The same way he clothes the lilies of the field and the grass of, of the plain. The same way he watches over and supplies for the sparrow. is the same way he's going to watch over and supply over you. So I need you to know that if his eye is on the sparrow. You ought to have the assurance. You ought to know. I want to make the two appeals. I'm praying that, and again, your privilege doesn't have to be excessive. But if God is giving you just a little bit of a head start, whether it's through gender, race, or resource, whether it's your privilege is inherited or earned, that privilege comes with a responsibility to not just be a vessel of mercy when it touches you, but to proactively be compassionate in service for your fellow man. My second appeal is this, for that person that's wrestling with whether or not you're significant to God. Like those in the small boat, you've been hit by the storm first and you've been hit by it the longest. 
and, and you're being overwhelmed by life's challenges and it seems like God has forgotten or God does not care. I need you to know that the words of that song are true, that if God has his eye on the physical and, and provisional needs of the sparrow, that God has his eye on you today. And so maybe there's somebody that has never been convinced of God's love. You've never been convinced of God's concern and his peculiar, peculiar attentiveness to your situation. You've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or maybe you've believed in an ancillary way but you've never made a commitment. And if you're here in the greater Huntsville area, you want to find a church, you want to belong to the family because remember, we share experiences, we travel as a group. And if you want to do that, I want to invite you to do one of two things. If you're watching on the website, you can just email us at prayer at firstsdachurch.com. Prayer at firstsdachurch.com. We have a baptism next week. There'll be baptisms in the coming week. And you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you want to be one of the next baptisms at this church. Just email us saying, I desire to receive the studies of God's word so I can be baptized. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, Facebook. There is a link that's coming up in the comments called type form and you can click on that link and you can notify us of your desire to get Bible studies or to receive baptism. So you can go all the way with Jesus. Don't wait till Tuesday. Don't wait till Wednesday. Don't wait till later because you've been doing that. And the more you put it off, the, the longer it becomes before you solidify that choice. But right now, here and now, email right now, fill out that decision card so you can go all the way with Jesus Christ. Right now, we're praying. Right now, heads of households are gathering families. And maybe, let me challenge you this, families. Maybe you as a family need to do a project this week. This week, you need to say, listen, we're not the richest, most powerful people, but we got some head starts. We got some privilege. How can we take what God has given us and how can we use it to bless somebody or bless some group. We don't need, it don't have to be something that touches our community, but you notice and you have an awareness of suffering. As a family, you need to talk through it. You need to commit it to God in prayer and you need to make it up in your mind that you're gonna continue to be a blessing, that you're gonna use the privilege that has been afforded to you to be a blessing to somebody else. Right now, I'm praying for the body of Christ. Father in heaven, I'm praying that somebody would be convinced that in you there's no hierarchy of concern. May they leave the message just knowing that they matter, that they count, that there is nothing of more significance in the cosmos than your love for them. And may we not just see your love in a general, uh, generic way, but may we see it in a specific and direct way, personally, for us and unto us. I pray to God that you would just remove and drain all the bitterness and jealousy and and the haterade from the body of Christ. May we not mourn when others rejoice and rejoice when others mourn, but may we learn how to celebrate the victories of others as if they happen to us. May we have ice tray faith. And then, Lord, for the families of God, whether we're white, whether we're male, whether we have money, whether we have in, uh, influence, may that we just have connections. May we use our privilege to be a help and a blessing to somebody else. You've given us that privilege not to hoard but to use as a vessel for your glory. So Lord, would you bless us? Would you keep us? Would you give us clear instruction for the week that is to come? I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. 
Let God's people say together, Amen and Amen.